reveal something new to you that he hasn't delivered to somebody else before. You run across somebody on YouTube or on your Facebook or somebody at work or somebody in your friend group that said, God showed me something that's new. You need to part ways. Because the Bible is very clear that prophecy is not given to any private interpretation. Amen. Simply put, when the canon of Scripture was closed, God will not reveal any new thing to you that He didn't reveal to the early church. Now, God will reveal things to me that I didn't realize in His Word. But, but when people get into the idea of, I'm going to read into Scripture... That's called eisegesis. That's me pulling into Scripture or to draw in. And that's reading my opinion and my feeling. This is how the Scripture makes me feel. This is what the Scripture, I feel like this means. Well, let me just tell you, the Bible is right and I am wrong. Put that in a bumper sticker. The Bible is right and I am wrong. It doesn't matter what the Scripture means to me. It's what thus saith the Lord. It's literal. I should read it and say, if he says don't commit adultery, I don't care what I feel about it, don't commit adultery. If it says don't lie, well, I don't feel that it means don't lie. It's literal. You with me up to this point? Second Peter chapter 1 says that we have a more sure word of, uh, we also, also a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old by, by the will of man, old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word of God is settled. David said, forever, the O Lord, thy word is settled in the heavens. You don't need any, any kind of new revelation. You don't need new revelation from somebody online. If this 66 books, this Bible can get you to heaven, I don't know what you can. You don't need a new prophecy. You don't need somebody speaking some new thing over you. That's what the Bible said that the Greeks saw after. Some new thing. If you've got the Bible, you've got everything you need. And you'll just study this. If you'll just study this word and show yourself a, 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 a proof of working of God, which needed not be ashamed, get in the word of God. This is all you need. Yes, Bible's right and I'm wrong. 2 yes. Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent the God be through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted in the from the simplicity that is in Christ. The gospel is very simple. Thank you, Sister Richard. Gospel is very simple. If anybody tries to complicate the gospel, run away. Because paganism is complex. And the religions of the world are complex. They always have hidden things. They always have mysteries. As a matter of fact, the word occult literally means hidden. It's always you've got to find new secrets. You, my Lord, you, you can be a Scientologist and you can pay so that they can teach you new and new things the more 
more money you give. There's nothing that's hidden from you. It's in the Word of God. The message, Paul, Paul said to the Corinthians, the simplicity that is in Christ. The message of the gospel is for whosoever will. It's for those who didn't finish kindergarten just as much as it is up for those who had doctorate degrees. It's a simple message, and we shouldn't try to read too much into the Bible and make everything mystic and everything so spiritual that nobody else can understand. No, it's meant for us to really be able to read it in its literal sense and understand that God wants us to understand it literally. Why am I, why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with the Beatitudes? Because as we dive in, we have to understand that the Beatitudes should be read and understood in their literal sense. Although they are dealing with spiritual things, Jesus literally means what Jesus literally says. There's no super, super uh, natural, mystical understanding that only some preacher on TVN or some quote-unquote Christian author can, can give you that has regarding to what these Beatitudes mean. Jesus' words are plain, and we should interpret them in their literal meaning. He literally means that the poor in spirit, those that humbly recognize their state of being and allow conviction to draw them to repentance, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the open door. It's a literal meaning. Because no sin can enter into the, the kingdom of the Jerusalem. And the first step in the relationship with God is to recognize that you need Him. He literally means that those that mourn, those that have a contract spirit, God will not reject it. And if God won't reject it, He will come in and comfort them. He will be the paraclete. He will become the comforter. He will come and take your beauty. He will give you beauty or that, 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 that headdress for, for morning, for ashes. He'll give you the oil of joy for morning and the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That is a literal interpretation of the scripture. We saw it in numerous examples from David to Isaiah where God made promises to take mourning and repentance and turn it to joy. These are literal interpretations of the scripture. So as we endeavor to go further in, I want you to understand that there's no super, super spiritual, super mystic, uh, 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 Gnostic ideology that we can buy into that gives us any deeper meaning than this than what we can read in the plain text. Verse, verse number 5 of Matthew says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word here, and I also bring this up, because as we study God's word, we need to understand the original language. I'm not saying you need to speak Greek or speak Hebrew. I, I don't. But I had one time someone said, you don't need to worry about Greek, you just need to read in English. I didn't say anything, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't speak back on that, but I have to tell you that, that you really need to understand it. Look up the words, get yourself a study Bible, look up what these words mean. Because the word meek here in the Greek is a word that's cross, it means mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, meekness, or humility. And the word inherit is, is a word I can't pronounce in Greek, you just got to trust me, it's there. It means be able to become a partaker of or to obtain. The meek are those who quietly submit to God, who can bear insult, 
return a soft answer, who in their presence keep possession of their own souls when they can scarcely keep possession of anything else. These meek ones are happy even in this world. The psalmist statement in Psalm 37 and 10 says, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. John the Revelator, he, he writes it down a little bit, uh, a little bit differently, hearing the words of the Lord in Revelation 21 and 7, when he says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These scriptures I've read to you show the dichotomy between the believer and the non-believer, or the saved and the unsaved, especially when it comes to being wicked and prideful, or being righteous and humble. Because the psalmist David said the wicked, those that John said will have their place in the lake of fire, they're wicked. They're prideful. They don't humble themselves before God. They never got themselves humble under the mighty hand of God. They will be pulled down. But those that humble themselves, they that give themselves, they that submit themselves to God, they will inherit the earth. They will inherit all things. They will reign, rule and reign with Christ forever. The new convert's character will change almost immediately after conversion. I've never, never met a new convert who boasted how worthy they were to receive the Holy Ghost. And if they did, they didn't receive it. They could have said, see, tamatai, smokamahanda, they could have done all that other stuff. But if they boasted, if they left out of the altar boasting of how worthy they were, they might have received a spirit, but it wasn't the spirit of God. Because every new convert who receives the Holy Ghost seems to have a natural sense of not deserving what they just experienced. I don't know about you, but when I got the Holy Ghost, there was something that came over me in awe that I had within me. That there was something that came, a humility that came over me that I'm not worthy of what I just experienced. I'm not worthy that God would reach down into an altar to a sinner just like me. Amen. The reason for this is very clear in Scripture. As we learned last week, salvation begins with humility. It begins with a place where we recognize that we're sinners and all that sin and fall short of the glory of God. James 4 and 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Psalm 147, 6, The Lord lifted up the meat. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Meekness, therefore, is essential to receiving the truth. Not only is humility essential to beginning your walk with God, it is also essential to continuing your walk with God. To walk with God, you must have the truth. Amen. And James 1 and 20 said, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, wherefore lay apart all, uh, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive. Oh, that's just funny. 
Anyhow, superfluity and naughtiness, and receive with meekness or humility the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Let's be honest. For a person who lived their entire life in the world, like, like Frank Sinatra saw my way, for, for those of us who lived our entire life before conversion, doing it the way that we wanted to do it, living life by our, our own will, it's, it, it can be quite a task to humble yourself to receive the kind of preaching that offends you. Perceiving truth takes a humility that only the Holy Ghost can give. Because if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not going to sit under a pastor that steps on your toes. You'll get out and go find somebody like the Apostle Paul said, well, he did themselves teachers having itching ears. You'll go to Joel Osteen's church where somebody tells you everything you want to hear. But if you get the Holy Ghost, something will come over you that says, preacher, preach to me. Whatever you've got to say, whatever it makes me feel, I'm going to humble myself and receive the engrafted word because it's able to save my soul. Amen. I'm not going to get angry and quit church if the preaching offends me and convicts me of sin. I'm not going to threaten to, to stop coming to church because the pastor teaches something I can't watch or I can't listen to or I can't do. I'm going to receive it with meekness. I'm going to receive it with humility. The Holy Ghost will bring a humility that says, Preacher, whatever you put on the table, I'm going to eat. Whatever you have from the Lord, whatever word you have from the Lord, whatever you got from me, preacher, that's what I want. If you're going to preach on time, I'm going to receive it. If you're going to preach on holiness, I'm going to receive it. If you're going to preach on prayer and fasting, God, I'm going to humble myself. I may not like it, but if this is your word, I'm going to humble myself and submit it because I know in the end I'm going to inherit all things. There's been times I've sat down at dinners with people. They put something in front of me I didn't want. Has anybody ever ate anything you didn't want? My dad one time cooked a sirloin steak in a microwave. <laughs> Dang. Of course, they do that at Applebee's every day, but... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just killed some of my cigarettes. But, but there have been times I've, I've sat down somebody put food, but it was in front of me. And I was hungry. That's not what I wanted. But I was hungry. Something happens in a new convert's life that says, I don't care, it doesn't look good, it doesn't feel good, but I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to receive it. Because I want to be saved. And I want to continue going up the ladder. I want to continue getting closer to God. Even if it offends me, I'm going to humble myself under the preacher and under the Lord of God. If anybody had reason to think that they knew it all, it was the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, and of said, though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day in the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. He's laying out his pedigree. He's saying all of these things. But he says this 
But means that those things that were gained to me, all those things that gave me some pride, all those things that I stacked a pin of rose on my nose, get on my soapbox and say, this is Saul. He said, all of those things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And the Bible said when he was converted, he spent certain days with the brethren. He submitted himself under some preacher who gave him the word of God, who gave him some preaching, who gave him Amen. some, uh, 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 who put him under authority. He submitted himself and he learned the law with Jesus Christ. Amen. And when writing to the elders of the churches, the Apostle Paul leads his command to the elders. Uh, excuse me, the Apostle Peter leads his command to the elders and turns his attention to the younger. In 1 Peter 5, he said, likewise, the younger. The word younger here means, it means recently born. Or figuratively, the regenerated. He's not talking to teenagers. He's saying you new converts. You younger, submit yourselves to the elders. The word elder here is presbyteros. It's where we get the presbytery, the ministry. You younger, submit yourselves to the ministry. You young converts, submit yourself to the preacher. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and give grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. We've got to humble ourselves under the authority of spiritual leadership because we're babes in the Lord. And we need to be able to say, Preacher, preach to me. Whatever you've got for me tonight, that's what I want to receive. That's the humility that comes becoming a child of God. <coughs> But humility, this meekness also shows its way as a fruit of the Spirit. And we see this all the way back to Moses' day when Aaron and Miriam spoke out against Moses in Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers 12 and 3, the Bible tells us in parentheses, it says it in parentheses because scholars aren't certain whether Moses wrote this or some prophet or some other scholar came later in adding this about Moses. Said, now the man, Moses, was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. His family and other leaders in the camp had just spoke out against him and said, is, is he the only prophet? Is he the only one God deals with? And Moses was so humble that he would not even defend himself against baseless attacks from his family because he married a wife after his first one died. And they ridiculed him and they spoke out against him. It got God's attention. And even though it got God's attention, Moses didn't say a word. How can Moses possibly remain so humble when somebody in the family offended him? Why? Because Moses had been to the mountain. Moses had had an experience of the mountain of God. Moses had seen the hinder parts of God. God, he had seen the glory of the Lord. God, he had, he had been in the presence of God. I'm here to tell you that something will change in your attitude, in your pride, will give way to humility when you have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. If we'll just get in the altar and get filled with the Holy Ghost, we won't have to worry about being prideful when it comes to hearing the Word. We'll say, Preacher, whatever you got, I'm going to submit myself. Amen. We won't have to worry about getting even. We won't have to worry about backbiting and fighting amongst the brethren. We will just get into the presence of God and let ourselves become humble after the relationship. 
Apostle Paul, likewise, after he was converted, in his closing words to uh, his son in the Lord, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, 14, said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to fight against him, but the Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath great me with still our words. But listen to what he says here. And at my first answer, no man stood with me. I stood alone against this person that was fighting against me. Nobody stood here with me, but all men forsake me. But the power comes at the end of the scripture. He says, I pray God that it be not laid to their charge. Church, this is the same Paul who persecuted the church because they preached the doctrine that he didn't agree with. What happened? Oh, I'll tell you what happened. On the road to Damascus, he he saw a bright light and he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Lord, who art thou? I said, I am Jesus, who thou persecutest. And he got saved. And he got baptized. And he got filled with the Holy Ghost. He had an encounter with Jesus. And he knew that his inheritance awaited him. If he was as humble himself. Amen. Knew that I'm not going to go fight. I'm not going to bicker. I'm not going to go fight this man at the law. I'm not going to hold it against him. Why? Because just a few chapter verses earlier, earlier in that same same passage of scripture, he says, "For I I have a reward." He said, "The Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give me a crown that day, not unto me only, but to all others who love His appearing." And he knew that on the other side of this journey, on the other side of what awaits for me, there's an inheritance that I'm going to get. So I'm going to humble myself. Here. I'm not going to be prideful. I'm not going to fight against people. I'm not going to war against the flesh, but I'm going to submit myself. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be humble because there's an inheritance that's waiting me on the other side. Amen. It didn't come from his natural flesh, but it came from becoming to growing to be like the Lord. Matthew 21 and 5, it says, Tell me the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meet, and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt before the donkey. Jesus didn't come. He didn't come by robe that the king would prepare somebody. He didn't come in kingly apparel. He didn't come in a, in a king's castle. The Bible said he came meek and lowly. He came as a baby in a manger. They wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Why? Because he wanted to teach us about humility. And the Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. I'm going to tell you somebody tonight, the battle isn't mine, it's the Lord's. Vengeance isn't mine, it's the Lord's. And if you'll humble yourself, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll get a spirit of humility and realize if I can be like Jesus, if the others come against me, I'll just humble myself. If the world comes against me, I'll humble myself. Amen. If the world plays something against me, I'll humble myself. Because I know that on the other side of my trouble, there's a great reward that's awaiting me. I'm 
not going to fight against those who, 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 who criticize me. I'm not going to fight against somebody in the church who doesn't like the suit that I'm wearing. Why? Because I've got a great reward. I'm not going to backbite. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to sow division. No, I'm going to be meek. Because the Lord went to Calvary. Meek. He became meek. He became humble. He could have came with a fall. But he came to manger. Hey, I'm going to call somebody. Humble yourself. Yeah, I just got to turn on. Let's follow a pattern to live life with an attitude of meekness. Because the flesh is not naturally meek. And it wants to strike back. It wants to get even. And it wants to seek its own prosperity. But meekness is a necessary fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. Meekness and temperance against such there is no law. Isaiah 20, 29 and 19 said, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. I'm here to tell you the wealthy and the powerful and the wicked who seem to have everything. And going forward, one day they're going to lose it all. One day all the high people will be pulled down because they wouldn't humble themselves. But those who have humbled themselves in God's hand, those who have humbled themselves under the Word of God, those who have submitted themselves to Jesus Christ, they have direct access to God who owns the cattle of a thousand hills and they have the promise of life everlasting. So I say to you, humble yourself. Amen. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit. Shall inherit. While all the wicked inherit. Unrighteousness and destruction is to come. The meek, those who humble themselves in the head of God, will inherit all things. Thinking about the coming of the Lord has made me reflect, reflect quite a bit on things that are truly important. Yeah. Let me tell you, it's not time. It's not time to be thinking about your next investment. Remember what I said earlier about you don't like it. It's not time to be thinking about my, my, my next business, my next my, my, my next business plan. I, I believe we, we gotta we gotta prepare for the future. We, we have to we have to let store, we have to be ready because nobody knows the day now, but we do know the season and we can see that things are wrapping up. So our focus doesn't need to be down here, it needs to be over yonder. Amen. And as we see these things appearing, as we see these things happening, the Bible says that we should look up for our redemption draws nigh. And I want to be ready to hear it. I want to be ready when the trumpet sounds. I don't want to be the I don't want to be the foolish virgin. I don't want to be the one that's got no oil. And so, the reflection about the soon coming of the Lord puts in us a desire to know God on a deeper level. The follower of Christ will have the desire to grow spiritually. I had a trainer when I was in college at the University of Georgia. We were training and getting ready for the season. And I'll never forget what Rob said. He said, they're, 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 you're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. You're getting bigger and you're getting smaller. There's no such thing as maintenance. 
Because, you know, we've been told, oh, I'm just in my maintenance guy. I'm just in my maintenance workout. No, you're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. You're either hot or you're cold. Don't be lukewarm. You're either in or you're out. There's no middle ground. Amen. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. You can't stand still. And so the follower of Christ will have a desire to grow spiritually. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, when I think about hunger and thirst, their natural response is to a body's need for nourishment. You get hungry when your body doesn't have any more calories to burn. You get thirsty when your body recognizes that if I don't get water, my system's going to start shutting down. There's only so many days you can go without eating. There's only so many days you can go without drinking. Hunger and thirst are natural responses to your body's need. They both function to signal a man needs to procure and consume something in order to ensure his health and his vitality. Thus, the spirit of a man craves righteousness as he knows that righteousness is essential to his spiritual well-being. Hunger here is a word, pianal, which means to hunger, to crave ardently, or to seek with eager desire. Likewise, thirst, it means to suffer from thirst or eagerly long for. The picture that Jesus gives us here is someone who has tasted something and now craves it. That's why the Bible said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because if you ever get a taste, if you ever get a taste of Jesus Christ, if you ever get a taste of His goodness, if you ever get a morsel of His mercy, then you'll get deep into it. Because I had seen 
the heart. I'm seeking for a man that's after my heart. I'm seeking for a king that loves me more than he loves the throne. I'm seeking for somebody that will love my ways more than he'll love my blessing. I'm seeking for somebody that wants the righteousness of God. Amen. What made David so special, you ask? Psalm 63, 1, it gives us a tale. It gives us a picture of a psalmist, of a shepherd sitting in a field somewhere playing a hand harp out in the middle of nowhere looking over the sheep that he was he was guiding that particular day. Maybe it was a nighttime. Maybe it was the middle of the day. Maybe a cool breeze was blowing upon the grasses. But he was sitting in a song of God. Thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee. My flesh longed for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen in the sanctuary. Why did God choose David? Why did God want David to be king? Because he was a man after his heart. He was a man that sought God's heart. And when the apostle Paul went to Antioch in Acts 13 and he went into the synagogue and they asked him to say something. He began to preach to them of the Messiah and he couldn't help but mention a man named David. And he said, as he said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. David sought after me. He wanted me more than he wanted the crown. He wanted me more than he wanted the crown. I'm here to tell you, if you'll seek righteousness, if you'll seek the holiness of God, if you'll seek the things of God, God will come to be your life. Draw nigh unto him, and he'll draw nigh unto you. Amen. We read earlier from Philippians about the progression of Paul's life. He said in 3.18, gave doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but none, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I already attained, either are already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it in the Son to you. Paul knew, I had everything when I was Saul. I had everything when I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, but I counted it all this time. I grew it all on the axiom that I might follow after him, that I might seek not the righteousness which I learned under the Daniel, not the righteousness which is of the law, but the 
seeks everything but the heart and mind of God. They seek everything. We're living in a generation that seeks pleasure. We're living in a generation that seeks money. The generation that seeks to buy a new car, or to buy a new house, or to have the newest technology, or to have the newest stuff. Gotta have a swimming pool. Gotta have a boat. Gotta have a motorcycle. Gotta have all these things. We're living in a generation where people want stuff. They get in the church so they can get blessed. But God said you'll never go any further unless you seek my righteousness. Amen. Else. I got a pause here and say, if you want to go further, you got to seek his holiness. Seek to be like him. Seek to walk like him. Seek God's heart. Amen. Jesus gave us right instruction when he said, Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we clothe? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that he hath need of all these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I hear to tell you tonight that if you will hunger after the things of God, God, if you have a promise from the creator of the universe, that will take care of every one of your needs. If you'll hunger after the things of God, He will fill you with all your natural need. But not only will He supply every natural need, He'll fulfill the whole need. If you'll search for Him, He'll come unto you. Draw nigh and all, the Bible said. And God will draw nigh to you. Amen. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness for he shall be fit. God's character. 
Everything that God was, he was in the flesh of the man Christ Jesus. And the Bible says, all things were made by him, and all things were made for him. For who? For Jesus. It was the end from the beginning. Meaning God fashioned everything. The Bible said that, that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Meaning that Jesus was already in the mind of God before he created heaven and the earth. I don't want to get too far out of the weeds with this. But, but it helps to put together a picture that if, if God's own image was expressed in Jesus Christ and all of creation was made with him in mind, And God created us in His image, then whose image should we take on when we get saved? We should take on the image of Christ. God doesn't have a body, He's a spirit. John 4 24, God is a spirit. The word spirit that's used in John is pneuma, which means a word used to denote that a spirit is like a breath. It's real and it's present, but you can't see it. It has essence, but no matter. God fills all space and time. He doesn't live inside of time. That's why we can't really comprehend the fullness of God's glory. He lives outside of everything that we can possibly imagine. But although he doesn't exist in the realm of understanding we have of natural things, having a beginning and having an ending, he exists eternally in his character qualities that are likewise passed along to those who are made in his image. What, what do I mean by this? For example, God has a characteristic of being holy. And what does he say to Israel? Be holy for I am holy. We need to take on the characteristics as best we can through the power of the Holy Ghost, the characteristics of God. We'll never be gods. That's not the point. That's what some, some people get out of this occultism and Gnosticism. Oh, we're like gods. No, we're, we, we, we're made a little bit lower than the angels, and the angels aren't even close to God. But we take on his character. Follow me. Follow us. I, I, feel, I, I kind of feel like some of you are going through the twilight. So stick with me. Remember what I said about using scripture? Follow me. Jesus spoke to one of this, uh, one such characteristic in Matthew chapter 5, when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke 6.36, he says, speaking very similarly, he says, Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. He has the characteristics of being merciful and you've received his mercy. So as we begin to grow in Christ and we take on his characteristics, mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness is something that Jesus said you've got to have.
Amen. If God pulled you out of the marriage lane and set your feet on a rock to stay, He showed you great mercy. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't worthy of it. But He still began me with benefits. He's given me an opportunity in the kingdom. Amen. And He's filled me with His Spirit and given me salvation by His mercy. That's right. Bible is very explicit about God's mercy. It's eternal according to Psalms 103 and 7. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him in His righteousness of the children's children. His mercy forgives sin according to Micah 7 18. Who is, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He retaineth not His anger forever because He delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And that will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. And mercy makes salvation possible. Titus 3, 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the closer that we grow to God, the more that we realize just how much mercy He had on us when He reached down in an altar and saved us, and we realize just how much mercy we need to live our life day to day. Amen. And Jesus commanded us to reciprocate the mercy that we received on others. This isn't a New Testament doctrine. It's always been the will of God concerning His people. Will the Lord, Micah 6 and 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with thy God? We have freely received mercy from God, so we are commanded that we must freely give it. Proverbs 11, 17 said, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. When you show compassion and mercy on others, you're being like God. You are obeying the command that God has given. You are reciprocating what God has poured out into your life. And God will in turn always show compassion and mercy on you. I figured I'd get a little bit more of it. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy sometimes to forgive people. It's not easy, especially when they hurt you, when they talk bad about you, when they, when they tell lies on you, when they treat you bad, when they steal from you. When somebody steals your car, when somebody breaks in and steals your stuff, when somebody tells lies on you in church, 
when somebody tells lies only on the internet, when somebody says stuff that's not true, when somebody hurts you physically, when somebody hurts you emotionally, it's hard to let go of those things. And it's hard to forgive. But the Bible says if you forgive men their trespasses, he will also forgive you. God showed me mercy when I was unworthy. I didn't deserve it when God reached down to an altar one Wednesday night and forgave my sins and filled me with the Holy Ghost. I didn't deserve it when I went down in the water of baptism and he washed all my sins away. I wasn't worthy. And I know they're not worthy either. They may have hurt you. They may have lied on you. They may have mistreated you. They may have caused pain. They may have caused sorrow and suffering and anxiety and fear. But you need to forgive them. You need to show them mercy. You need to show them compassion. Because I need the mercy of God in my life. Amen. not easy, especially when somebody you love, somebody's close to you. The Apostle Paul went to the church of Ephesus and he gave them a very distinct command. Be kind unto them. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake I'm closing. I have all the mercy of God. Blessed are the merciful. And they shall receive mercy. It's time to forgive. It's time to live. It's time to sow things back together. You need to get it right. If somebody's hurt you, they may not ask for forgiveness, but you need to give it to them. If they're dead in the grave, you need to forgive them. Let go. God, for Christ's sake, one night he walked up to an altar. He met me when I was in the And he showed me mercy. Stand with me tonight. Colossians 3 and 8 and we're done. But now you also put off all these anger and wrath and malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed knowledge after the image of where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and ill. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all, these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. All of these things tonight, all of these beatitudes are tied together. For 
we want to be the true body of Christ. We want to be the people of God. We must put on Christ. Start with the humility. If you just got saved, then you just pray back through and start with humility. Humble yourself into the Word of God. Do whatever it says that you need to do. Seek out with the righteousness of God. Show mercy, show love, show much suffering, show compassion. I think so. Look it up there. And all of these things that God literally said that we're to do, He will literally perform everything He said. I open the altars tonight for anyone that wants to come. If you want to just get a fresh start, if you want to take the next step in your walk with God, if you want to forgive somebody, if you want to ask forgiveness, if you just want to talk to Jesus and grow a little bit closer to Him, wherever you